0: Have you ever seen something in a theater that you just couldn't explain? Or have you ever thought about if dying really ain't that bad? And do you spend sleepless nights wondering exactly what happened in Natalie Wood that night on the boat? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then it's time for you to exit stage death. Exit Stage Death is the chilling true stories behind your favorite Broadway shows. Releasing bi-weekly on Tuesday, starting May 24th so if you want to find out which broadway house is the most haunted talk about what killed our favorite broadway flops and learn about the murderous path of mama rose that took gypsy rose lee to stardom it's time for places actors thank Thank you places. places. it's time to exit stage death hello serial killers welcome back No, it's not a normal release day. This is an exclusive first look at our second new show that is exclusively available on our Patreon for only $2 a month. So you get Leeline Radio and you get two episodes of Saved by the Spell every month. Yes, for only $2. That's the end of my spiel. So enjoy the very first episode of Saved by the Spell, Chapter 1, Brooklyn. (laughs) Welcome back, students, to your favorite magical studies course, Save by the Spell. Welcome everyone to the first episode of Save by the Spell, your magical course to learn about magical schools and academies other than a certain school of witchcraft and wizardry. I am your self-appointed professor, Maddie Limerick of Magical Studies, and on this first course, we were going behind Breakbill's University. Part of the Magicians Trilogy by Lev Grossman. So, this first uh, season, we will be going just behind the first book of the Magicians. Now, this is a very popular, incredibly well done series on sci fi. If you have not seen it, I encourage you to wait until you're done with season one and then go watch it because it is absolutely phenomenal. And I will preface this one of the few times I'm ever going to say, I think that the TV is better than the book but this book is wonderful so let's jump in. We're going chapter by chapter. This is the first time I'm reading it so you are going to be with me as we go through this for the first time and for a little treat for anybody who once that little extra extra credit point or that extra study note. I'm releasing uh, two days after every episode on our Patreon. Thank you all for being subscribers. It's just $2. Make sure you get your friends to join as well. You get our study guide, which is where I will be reading you each chapter that I have just talked about so that you two can go inside word for word and tell me what things I've missed. Tell me what things that I don't cover that you want me to. So let's jump in. First chapter is called Brooklyn. And we meet... Quentin and his friends James and Julia. Um, James and Julia are kind of these wonderful, exactly what we would expect to all American kind of super smart, super gifted kids. Uh, Quentin describes James as the hero of everything. And I think it's funny because he even describes that when James, you know, if James is the hero, that either makes you the sidekick or the villain which I think it's some fun foreshadowing. I haven't read through the rest of the book yet, so we'll get there together. Um, and Julia is the love interest. She's dating James, but Quentin loves her. Um, Something I've noticed about the way Lev Grossman writes, which is similar to how I write, which I find interesting because I don't think I'm the best writer, but I enjoy writing. It's both overly, sometimes too descriptive, but also very honest in ways that are a little off-putting to the audience. I What's really interesting about Quentin is we understand that he's young, he's 17, he's graduating high school and interviewing for Princeton, um, which is the whole kind of setup of chapter one, but he's really unlikable. And my, my older mate, David, is, is, uh, assured me that there's a reason for that, that we will get there. Um, and so we're just going to jump in. So as we're opening in book one, we are in Brooklyn. It's winter. Early winter. It's November, so anybody from New York knows that November can still be a little warm, or you can already have snow at this point. I know one of the first Christmases I, or Halloweens I live there, we had snow at Halloween, so it's just able to happen. Quentin is sullen. He's doing a magic trick in his pocket, uh, which he does over and over again, um, while he and James are walking to their alumni interview for Princeton. And again, this is part of that weird Ivy League thing where the alumni can have a say it's all these weird things and uh, don't even get me started on the elitism and classism of ivy league education don't get mad any of my yalies that are out there listening but yeah we we meet these three characters and it is kind of obvious that it's being set from quentin's point of view that we are inside quentin's brain even though this is being written in third person um we're really kind of getting the inside of quentin's story now you know it's just obvious that james and julia get along really well they've all been friends for years uh they were all gifted kids and in uh how it is put in the book is in the new york city uh school system when you're going to the private schools the super gifted kids get plucked out and then they separate the really really gifted kids from the just kind of gifted kids and as a previously gifted but challenged kid myself uh this kind of hits at home a lot <laughs> um it is really interesting how Lev uses his voice as Quentin to describe everyone around him. It's very, very unusual because he, he describes James and Julia in a way that we can tell that he's in love with Julia and that he's a little jealous of James, but James is so likable that you can't hate him. But also in a way that is kind of like Quentin's a little enamored of James as well. Again, maybe I'm just reading queerness into everything but so essentially i what i'm really loving about this chapter so far is the kind of descriptive nature and it makes me miss living in brooklyn because they are in brooklyn describing kind of these streets of the bodegas with with the like massacred things that are on the ground like just the trash and everywhere but it's somehow beautiful and charming because it's new york city and how he describes like the flowers that should be dead but they're oddly alive or that it's so cold that it should be snowing but it oddly rains kind of describing these very melancholy things that quentin actually finds really calming and as a person that's a little strange and unusual myself Uh, I love a dreary afternoon where it's raining, and I would almost rather feel the cold than being overheated. So all these things where, well, I find Quentin is very, very unlikable. There's a solace that I feel a little bit with the character. Um, But we are introduced to this idea of fillery. (laughs) And it's somewhere that Quentin feels that his life should have been anyway. You know how we always feel that, oh God, we can't possibly be in the right life. We're not possibly in the right space. Somebody got the life I was supposed to have. And in we meet, find the fictitious book series, which I'm not gonna go too in depth about. I have looked into it, but I want us to kind of discover it together. And it's called Fillory. And it's a fictitious book series written by Christopher Plover called Fillory and Further. And Fillory is this magical world where five uh, English countryside children who were taken away from World War II-wrapped London are living with their eccentric aunt and uncle and find a passageway into this magical world in the walls of the house called Fillory. Signs kind of familiar, right? Yeah, it's very much like C.S. Lewis's Narnia, and that is kind of the point. Um, It is my understanding with this book series that Lev Grossman just wanted to write the Fillory books. He wanted to write this fictitious children's book series from the perspective of Christopher plover the writer but the publishers were like no bro we've already got that this is too similar um you know there are five children instead of four blah 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 all these things but so i think what he conceded was to do write a book series where fillery may or may not be real but there is magic there are all these things which is kind of where we are so he describes a little bit about fillery and who these characters are marwin chatwin who is the martin chatwin who is the oldest sibling and all these things that we find out about the fillery kids over the fillery books over their uh five book series um and it's, it's something that he also says, I think it's really important. Uh, like most people, Quentin read the Fillory books in grade school. And unlike most people, unlike James and Julia, he had never gotten over them. And this is a really interesting thing that I want to talk about to start because we're having this conversation. And it's kind of why this series came about was there are so many other book series other than Harry Potter out there that do incredible things. We've got Tales of Earthsea and... Um, the disc world and we we've got Narnia and Lord of the Rings that all existed far before Harry Potter, but this idea of like a magical school and being made for things bigger than you are has always been kind of a very popular trope. But you know, over time Potter has become very, very problematic. And we're trying to find ways to enjoy things or find things that are similar. And a lot of, you know, I always love seeing on profiles when people are like, no, you're not a Ravenclaw. You're a 30 year old that can't disconnect from childhood trauma, which is so interesting to think about as someone who, you know, got sorted into Ravenclaw years ago. So I wanted to kind of start exploring these other series where there is a magical school. There are these magical academies, there's magical training in kind of what these other worlds do. And like, did J.K. steal from them? All those things. You know, this is not going to really talk about them. But it's this idea of, especially for older millennials, you know, millennials and then maybe some older Gen Zers, this kind of connection to nostalgia that we're going back to. It's like you all know from listening to my other shows. I love Power Rangers. I love it all, a lot of these things. But I can still kind of question to them so it's this thing about what is this thing that Quentin is holding on to in the Fillory books that everybody else has kind of moved on to and is that idea of the nostalgia as an escape as a way to give yourself healthy ways to cope with the trauma that you're experiencing is that such a bad thing when maybe other people have had things that they've gone through Quentin does read a really interesting way to me too because As someone who, you know, as an adult adult has learned that they're neurodivergent in lots of things, there's this idea of like learned behavior because we've watched other people do it for so long that it helps us kind of fit in. And there's a really interesting kind of quote at the end of this like page and a half blurb. Um, If you're following along at home, it is page seven. Um, And it's, in Fillory, things mattered in a way that they didn't in this world. In Fillory, you felt the appropriate emotion when things happened happiness was a real actual achievable possibility it came when you called or no it never left you in the first place so that's something really interesting because uh, you know i'm a purchaser i'm a pebbler i love giving little gifts uh to show my love but also i love those little bits of serotonin and dopamine you get from a good little purchase a good little thing these moments of happiness that are Fleeting, but they're the ways that we're able to kind of build this cushy padding of of negotiation for trauma negotiation for not learning how to deal with things emotional. I was talking to two coworkers the other day about how we in a certain age group have learn to deal with grief, how we process grief, or how we don't process grief. You know, many of us watched people throw themselves from the towers on 9-11, from their classroom on a TV that we were forced to watch on those days. Or, you know, I remember, you know, you could see Operation Desert Storm, there was this idea of bringing home soldiers, people dying, was just always kind of this thing. So, especially through like COVID and things, learning that I don't know how to process grief, and there are these things so it's a very interesting idea that there is this idea that we're always happy and it's also this kind of idea of Quentin still being young and even though he's jaded he still has this idealism of what it all means so it's this idea that like happiness never leaves you and not that we are complex beings that experience complex emotions Uh, but it is something really interesting that I like that Lev is going behind in these books to talk about so I'm sure we're kind of kind of keep pivoting around that a lot and so you, we get to this this uh, older than the rest of the lock building where quentin and james are going to have their interviews and he even says that this house is so old and interesting that assuredly inside if this were a magical novel there would be a portal to a world and the guy would be eccentric who owns it and all these things so they go inside well they try to go inside and they knock and no one answers and they're caught in the pouring rain and James and Quentin are so uncomfortable, which who isn't always uncomfortable? I feel like I live so many of my life as somebody that presents a really strong air, but I'm always really uncomfortable, especially in social situations, which is something that I have guess I'm unpacking later in life that, you know, I've used to like mask and cloak with the rest of things, but this is not about me. Um, so they're waiting and Quentin's actually kind of relieved that maybe he doesn't have to do this interview. Which, I mean, how many, how many of that is the uh, of the of us has that happened to? There's this idea that he's worked so hard for all these things because you're trying to achieve this goal. Because we're told these goals have to be achievable, these goals have to be attainable. This is what we have to want to do. And you know, in a lot of situations, that's not the thing. We work for those things, we get there, and then realize that we've been led astray for so long, and all these things have been happening because. We just think we need to hit certain benchmarks and do certain things to be happy and achieve. And for a lot of us that have done the college thing, we've done the career thing, we're realizing that that isn't really kind of the thing. So for me, and again, maybe I'm just reading this because I know Lev is in my age group. And so you're reading a teenager kind of have these existential thoughts that a 30 something is having so it's kind of calming <laughs> in many ways so they go inside they push inside the door is unlocked they want to get out of the rain james doesn't want to come inside but quentin starts exploring there's seems to be no light switch as he's going into the hall it's dark and almost a dark in a way that like not just the curtains are drawn or that it's raining but that it's actually nighttime and as I'm finding in the books, I've I've reread each chapter we're talking about you know, a couple times in order to talk about it today. Um, and it, it starts to give us those ideas that there is something magical happening. And he's putting in little dog ears for us to start th- things to start thinking about. And so, you know, he's walking around, he finds this cabinet that is as tall as a person or larger and it really sets it up for that moment like lucy's finding the wardrobe for the first time in narnia and you know it's just a wet bar there's more liquor you can ever think about in there and there is no magical panel at the back he's looking around and everything seems unusual and again no light switches or anything and then James joins him, and that is when they find a dead body on the ground. A dead body in the study. It's like Clue. I love this already. So there's a little time jump. You know, it's overwhelming. I can't imagine being a 17-year-old, is even as melancholy as Quentin is, finding a dead body. Um, And this is where something comes in. Three paramedics show up. There's a little time jump. And Lev Grossman has a way of describing people in a way... That is one second so flattering and then so insulting the next. Now something because it is Quentin's perspective. And Quentin is supposed to feel like he's unlike his peers while he's honestly so much like every 17 year old. The off-putting thing for me is how Clinton looks at women and describes women. It's really kind of gross. Um, You know, I chalk this up to being a guy thing and being a guy writer. I believe Lev Grossman is straight or not queer identifying, Um, all these things. But he describes her as being, like, too hot to be a paramedic and, like, too pretty to be doing this kind of work. And, like, but then describes her features in what I consider a really... Um, insulting kind of way. Being like, she's too pretty. All these things. But then being like, her chin was small and her nose was small and pointed in these things and she had heavy braids. And I was just like, I'm kind of confused here when it's coming down to this. But, you know, there's a, a clearly... Quentin is getting a vibe that the woman that they're interacting with, there's no name tag, there's no insignia of being a paramedic. He describes her uniform as being the stewardess to a one-stop flight to hell, which I just think is so interesting. Because he's bouncing back and forth between these really flattering descriptions, but then these really just like awful descriptions. It's so... It was so off-putting, but kind of kept me reading. Like, I don't know any other way to describe it. But she's really kind of becoming a caustic with James and Quentin. And before they're, you know, they think they're going to get in trouble for finding this dead body. But no police are showing up. Like, no police has showed up. It's just these paramedics. And they know he's dead. They're not trying to resuscitate. They're not doing anything. They're just kind of cleaning up the bits. And they go to leave. And... There are two manila envelopes on a desk, and she's trying to give them to them. And James is like, absolutely not. Fuck off. We, whatever that is, it's confidential. We don't need it. And Quentin, out of nowhere, takes it. And James and Quentin are very upset with each other. You know, clearly, but you're two good friends who have been very long-time friends who have just experienced a weird bout of trauma together, and you don't know how each other is supposed to process But you're both mad at how each other was processing. So they kind of depart each other at the end of the block. James to go meet up with um, Julia to do a paper and Quentin to go home and find a way to explain to his parents if they even care what just happened. So, you know, there are a lot of red flags there. There's no police. They were let go. They were handed this thing. But, of course, Quentin takes it. And as he's walking, he opens it up and it reads... It's an old notebook, not files. They thought it was like recommendations and all those things that, you know, are part of a um, thing. So it just says The Magicians, book six of Fillory and Further. And as Quentin states that any nerd worth their salt knows that there are not six books in the Fillory and Further series. There are five, and there's no book called The Magicians, which, hey, he said the thing. He said the thing. You know, it's saying like in Arnia, there's no 11th book or... You know, every time I talk about it, everyone's like, Maddie, what do you mean? You think the magician's nephew or the yeah, the magician's nephew book should go first in the series, considering there's lots of connotations of what should and should not be known about Narnia. I'm looking at you, Case Aiken. I know you're in the back of the classroom right now. Wake up, have a snack, have a beer. <laughs> um, and it's it's really interesting, but before he can read it, a note flies out. A note and he can't even see what's on it and it hits it's very much a magical moment and i believe lev grossman is someone who who is a very imaginative person because he he writes the way that i try to write which is as descriptive as possible because i think a book should be just as grand and wonderful as a movie and you should be able to see everything in your mind and so he's giving you all the things so he describes the note hitting the big iron rot fence which in new york there are all these like little private gardens that's a strip of land that isn't necessarily seen as like useful by a developer so it you know it's these it's a community garden it's whatever and so it chips inside and so he goes inside and follows this note and you know he describes it as all the again overly descriptive in a way that's like so You get this great picture, and then he's like, but all the plants are dead. It's like crunching brown glass under his thing. So it immediately takes you from the kind of the best idea of what you're seeing to the worst idea of what you're seeing. And it's like, oh shit, this is crazy, but I kind of appreciate it because you're watching it decay in your own mind. It's this really interesting thing. And so he's kind of wading through this like thing of thickets, and he thinks he sees something in his eyeline in his periphery, which how many of us have never seen something flitting in their periphery? I think it says a lot about who a person is. And if they you know see that dark thing in the shadow in the corner of your eye, that then creeps you out, or, you know, you think you see something that's not there and he can never find the note, but as he's wandering through, he seems to hit a wall of foliage and then he passes through and it's suddenly hot With a bright blue sky, a sun that seems to be even at a different angle than would even be possible for this time of day. And he sees this giant rolling lawn and he realizes in that moment how much he's sweating and how warm he is. So he takes off his coat, drops his bag, and just sees this great lawn in this massive house. It's like gold and stone and beautiful, but has a giant clock tower and an observatory. Dome made out of like copper that's oxidized and all these things that seem almost right. But then there's just something off about everything the more he looks. And across he sees a teenager leaning against a tree who's smoking must be one of the cool kids you know so you got to make it a little modern you got to make it sit there and quentin's looking around and he looks back and realizes that where he's just come through where the garden should be is the four it is a thick forest which again ding 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 can't have a magical school without some magical barrier or a forest right i'm looking at you camp half blood i'm looking at you hogwarts all these things and in a moment, he it's very funny. I got to read it. Quentin walked over as nonchalantly as he could. He didn't want it to look like he was someone who had no idea of what was going on. How, how, I'm sorry, how in connection is that with me? I, ju- I just, maybe it's like, I. even though I find this kind of character so unlikable and I don't care about Quentin very much. You all will learn this about me if you don't know me already. I don't tend to like the protagonist of a series. I don't love Harry Potter as a character. I don't even really love Percy Jackson as a character until he's no longer the main focal point when you get into Heroes of Olympus. I didn't like Bella and Edward. You know, there are just all these things. I didn't particularly care about Katniss. You know, I liked Katniss, but there are these things. that This is just a thing, so I'm kind of chalking it up. But how fucking relatable is this, this idea that <laughs> Quinn... <laughs> wants to appear that he understands what's going on that he knows what's going on that he doesn't want to feel like he's out of place because like when you're the super smart person or you the the informed person the encyclopedia friend everybody always looks to you to know what's going on and when you don't you also aren't necessarily the best socially so you want to look cool like you know what's going on so i just kind of connected with this um and he just asked is this fillery and the boy who we know very little about the young man blows out a smoke and says no it's upstate new york <laughs> which i don't know why i just found that so funny um especially when you're like when you've lived in new york and then you live in upstate or when you're from one of the two everybody considers when you're in the five boroughs everybody considers everything above westchester upstate honestly and so it's just so funny but to think that he like crossed through like this harsh beginning of winter november uh, to, to then being the sunny place and it's suddenly upstate. It's just very funny to me. Um, the chapters in this are kind of a mix of being long and short. So each episode is just going to be a chapter. That way, it's kind of very digestible. I'll be releasing a new uh class every other week. Um if it gets to the point where we can, I'm gonna try, maybe weekly. We don't know. Um so yeah, that's the end of the first chapter of The Magicians called Brooklyn. Again, jump over uh in a couple days on your Patreon feed and listen to the study guide where I will read you chapter by chapter. So I guess my thoughts at the end of this are I you have to I think we have to know James and Julia are going to come back at some point. Because who describes characters in that way and kind of gets you so connected to character and kind of give them such perspective of, you know, what's happening if you're not going to bring them back? I think it's really bold to make such a moody, brooding, unlikable character who really isn't great in a series where this can kind of be very magical and you kind of want to root for your quote unquote hero. But I also kind of love this idea that maybe our protagonist isn't a traditional hero. He isn't traditionally there, but also because I watched the series, we kind of know that we're going to meet a really rich and interesting group of characters. And so I'm interested to continue to take you further into break bills university, which we are not even at break bills yet, but just to give you a uh, spoiler, The next chapter is called Break Bells, where we will finally enter... The Wooden Doors of Breakbills University for Magical magical Pedagogy as I continue to take you chapter by chapter through Lev Grossen's The Magician. Thank you, as always, for being a member of our Patreon, where only $2 a month gets you incredible new shows like this one, Leyline Radio, as well as some things we have coming up in the future. Don't forget to check out Saturday Morning Confidential and Exit Stage Death, both which are produced by Dreamer Productions and are part of the Certain POV Media family. You can like and subscribe on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Share us on social media. We want to get some more people over here on Patreon because it's just helping us continue to grow. I'm very transparent about where we spend our money. We spend it in doing very grassroots marketing. Uh, it's how I pay my co-host. It's how I pay researchers and things. And we've we got some big shows that are going to keep coming up soon, even though I am living at sea for the next year. That is right. I am floating on the ocean as I make these series for you. So it's also to help me pay for Wi-Fi and things, you know, but I just thank you all so much for being loyal patrons on our patreon and i will see you for next class of save by the spell Save by the spell is produced by dreamer productions with your host maddie Limerick. we do not own any rights to the magicians by Lev grossman or by the tv series from sci-fi this is purely for educational and entertainment only the music in today's episode is by brett eagleston Don't worry, listeners, no need to adjust your dial. This is Landline Radio. Welcome to the end of the dial at the end of the world. I'm the host, and we bring you stories too chilling and strange to be true, right from the heart of towns where the lines between this world and the next connect. Stories from people just like you for those long, dark, lonely nights driving down roads that never seem to end. We'll be here, and don't worry if you can't find us, we'll find you. Leyline Radio is from Dreamer Productions and can be found monthly, exclusively starting in October on their Patreon feed. Follow the link in the show notes below to hear and enjoy.